for about a year and a half now. Um, I work with Kayla and Savannah uh, with our youth and sort of their caddy um, in there. Thankful for them. Anyway, I've been given the privilege and the honor. reading the word of God this morning in our passage and I say it's an honor and a privilege because I don't take it lightly the writer of Hebrews tells us that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword alive active able to cut the soul and spirit bone and marrow it's a weapon used properly it's healing for us and I'm again honored and privileged So our reading comes from John 5, verses 8 through 18. We're going to back up a little bit. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. I would turn it off if I knew how. I think I got it. Good morning. I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you, please uh, stop me. Hopefully you met um, Gene and uh, Jason on the way in. Um, What an amazing day it is uh, to open up God's Word and to dive into it. Um, uh, You know, if if you are a guest here, I just want to thank you for being here and... um, you know, we have gift bags for you that tell you about the church and, and what we um, believe and think about things. And what we're going to see this morning is that there are um, really two, two stories, three characters that we're going to be talking about, and, they, and they're dealing with life. They're dealing with life, <laughs> and we're dealing with life. And what we're going to see is that Jesus invades their lives and and he interacts with them in a way that is um, that often many of us would go, man, I would love for Jesus to do that in my life. But we're going to see that their responses are not the same. Their responses are very different. And in, and in fact, the third uh, character that we're going to see in, this, uh, in these stories is the religious people of the day and as, a, as a collective group. Um, and it's, and it's, it's sad when you step back and you look to see how 
they and we often respond to God's work in our lives. Um, so that's what we're going to see. Uh, so this week, you guys should have read two stories in John as we're bouncing back and forth. Okay, so I had a challenge here, and everybody in your groups that I heard a bunch of chatter about this, like, why in the world did you stop at verse 9 um, and good luck on Sunday, because we already read ahead. It's <laughs> basically what I got, which is fine. Um, and so maybe what I'm going to say up here, it'll, it might be kind of fun, because you may be like, that's not where we went with this. So it'll be interesting, and I would love uh, feedback, because there is, um, and frankly, I think my commentary uh, during uh, Dave's small group was, I think, I, I shifted my stance <laughs> as I was preparing this sermon. Um, and so we're going to walk through it. But what I want us to notice is that, remember, John is putting this entire gospel together so that we may believe. So that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is our only hope for salvation and rescue, and that he is the Son of God. That is John's purpose. And so every single one of these stories, every incident, every... every um, uh, every time Jesus is teaching or declaring, that's his purpose. Um, in fact, what you probably read, well, what you did read, because this is how it says in the Bible, is uh, there's a healing and then another healing, back to back. It's like a double feature. John's intent is that we take these things as a group. He doesn't do a healing and then like explain it and then move on to the next one. The reason we put this together is because it is one element that Jesus is trying to teach off of. And so that's how we're going to launch into this this morning. So I'm going to back up a little bit. If you didn't read those stories, I'm sorry, we're not going to go through all of them, okay? So uh, I'd encourage you to go back and read through it. I think it starts in four, uh, I'll just look it up real quick, um, four, <laughs> should I prep this? Uh, 446. So it starts in 446, uh, and then it goes through about 5.9 or 5.8 where uh, Doug just picked up there. So, um, all right. So, sorry, I lost my train of thought a little bit there. I hope I, hope we, um, I, I, hope I calibrate where we're at, um, and uh, let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, we, uh, we humbly come before you this morning. And we lay our lives at the foot of the cross. And we know, Father, that if we're honest, each one of these profiles of people in responding to you, we have probably lived through each piece of them at some point in our lives. We have responded to you and to your work in our lives in ways that are that just demonstrate our rebellion, demonstrate our uh, chaotic lives and thoughts. And so we ask, Father, that this morning that you would give us the honesty and humility to come before you, to be convicted, and to have our eyes opened and our hearts changed. Allow us to see you for who you are, a God who intends to rescue us, and did so by sending his son to die for us. We pray this in his name. 
Amen. All right, so here we go. Strengthened faith. That's the first, and I would argue, the best response to God's interactions in our lives. And we would all like to think that like, as, as God interacts in our lives, right, that every, every bump in the road, everything that happens, it's all just for strengthening. And that's the right answer. It's just not the easy answer. Um, the, the first story that we saw was the official, okay? And I'll just really quickly, his son is dying. He comes to Jesus um, and asks him to heal his son. And so, so let's just start, start at the very beginning. That really is like the first five words of this thing. His son's dying. <laughs> this is a big deal, right? Like this isn't some casual thing. It's not just some nice little conversation with Jesus. His son is on his deathbed. He travels more than a day to go find Jesus, perhaps a last hope, perhaps his only option going, I don't know. I've heard he can do miraculous things, and so I'm going to go and see if he can do this for my son. <laughs> I couldn't imagine, and you guys probably talked about this in your group, but first of all, being in a circumstance where your child is about to die. And maybe some of you have, have, engaged, have experienced this in your life, but I, I don't know. Thank God I have not. I hope I never do. But this is, this is at the core of probably our emotional, you know, the weight of emotional sorrow that we could hold as a child. And what does he have to do? He, he has to make this decision do I stay with my son or do I leave him for a couple days knowing that he could die an hour after I leave and I could miss the last hour of his life? This is not an easy decision. I mean, it's only a sentence in the story, but I hope that in your groups, you guys kind of dwelt on that a little bit where this guy is like, he's having to make a really tough decision. And maybe you guys are in a place in your life where you're having to make a really tough decision. You're like, man, I just don't know. I wish my son was never sick. How about that, God? <laughs> Can we just start there? Can you make this a little bit better, make this a little bit easier, make this a, a better way for me to live life and just worship you? Man, if I did, I mean, maybe he had to miss some amazing times and all these things, and right? Like, like, I would just be able to worship you so much better if I just didn't have all these distractions and chaos going on in my life. So in verse, we're going to be, in, um, we're going to be reading from the ESV. The, the verses will be on the screen. John 4, 53. Uh, sorry. Is that right? I'm having all sorts of problems with my mic here. I'm sorry. <laughs> at least it's on at the right time now, huh? It's a good thing I caught that before I was singing, for your guys' sake. Well, I didn't catch that. Somebody caught it. Um, 4.53. It says that the father knew that the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Sorry. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. And so what happens is this guy goes, he leaves his son, he finds Jesus. Jesus says, your son will live, and he leaves. And his servants come and go, your son is, is, is healed. He's, he's healing. 
And he goes, that was it. And it says that he believed and his whole household. But that wasn't the first belief, right? And hopefully you guys went through this in your small group. Like he left his son's side. There was some element of belief there, right? Like he believed that, that perhaps Jesus could do something or else he would never have even left. So there was some element of belief. And then what do we see? He goes to Jesus and he says, can you come? His request was Jesus come. Come to my son's side. Come put your hands on him. Come pray for him. Come do something. And what does Jesus say? He'll live. That's it. And the man leaves. He believes Jesus. He believes his words. And at the belief of his words, he disembarks and he goes back to his son. And then his son is healed. And he believes a third time. Belief is riddled throughout this entire story. And so the question that John is asking is not, when, was this, when did this man have salvific belief? <laughs> when was his belief above the threshold that would save him eternally? It's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that in the environment of our lives, in the occurrences that happen, God is interacting and giving you opportunities for your faith to be strengthened in him. And so he believed, and then he believed more, and then he believed more. This is our life. This is our entire life. Every day we wake up, we should have a stronger, uh, more sure faith in God and in his interactions in our lives. And sometimes it gets dark. Sometimes it gets horrible. But then when we come out of that, we look back and we go, that was good. I can trust him. And our faith is strengthened. And then dark days come. And we go through this over and over again. And what, what does this man do? He profiles this response to Jesus as one of strength and faith. Over and over and over again. This is a choice we get to make. We get to make this choice. Am I, is my faith going to be strengthened? Or is my faith going to be rattled? This man could have cursed God and said, why are you doing this to my son? Perhaps he did. But the point of what John is showing us here is that his faith is strengthened at each step. Here's what's amazing about this if you look at it, right? So he, he sees, it says at the beginning, that he sees all of the things that Jesus was doing. He sees them. Like he's seen Jesus doing all these other signs to other people. It wasn't to him, but just these other things are happening. And in that, seeing this, these things, seeing God's work in the world, in the lives of a community of believers, he sees God. And in that, he has more faith. Do we? Do we see God working in your life, in your life, in your life? I get to. It's a privilege. It's a privilege because I know all of you. Well, most of you. And it's a beautiful thing. And I wish, I wish that you all had the same ability, and, and, and you do. I mean, you certainly can. Because when you get to experience, I mean, think about it. You get one life. God interacts with you. Right? Like, there's, I don't know, 70 people in here. 
That's 70 lives. God's interacting with all of you in different ways. And, and if we're hearing about how God is working in your life, that can help create faith in our own lives. And then what does it say? Jesus spoke his words. His words. Just like Doug read. Sharper than a double-edged sword. When we read these words, it should strengthen our faith. Go, man, I'll tell you, when I'm, when I'm struggling, I mean, frankly, I have a hard time reading the Bible for not sermon prep purposes. And that's something I don't like, frankly. You can pray for me about that. Because I want, and so what I do is I, I go to Psalms, and I look at the date, and what's the date? The 18th, and I go, all right, I'm going to read Psalm 18. And then I'll read Psalm 48. And I'll jump through it because I, I, I need something. I need, I need something that's not. Now, my mind, as I'm reading each one of these psalms, I'm like, oh, I could put that in my sermon. <laughs> so it doesn't always help. But, but the words are, are food for us. This is what Jesus says in the, in, when he's being tempted in the desert, right? Man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And so what we get here is we get strength in faith when we're reading God's word. And then, and then his faith is strengthened when it actually happens to him. When the things get bad and you watch God interact in his life. Here's the problem. We do a bunch of ways, there's a bunch of ways that we skirt around this and we don't let our strength be, uh, uh, our faith be strengthened. When, when God is working in your lives or in my life and we're watching all this stuff happen and we have the opportunity for our faith to be strengthened, many times we go as co coincidence, luck, Hard work. Don't we? No, yeah, that's, that's, I'm glad that worked out for you. That's awesome. Lucky. Or you earned it. You worked hard. What about the providence of God? Right? And so we, we find these little ways where we skirt around this. Or we, we're reading God's word, especially now that we're in the gospel. You read it. Were these just fairy tale bedtime stories to you guys? Because it can easily be. Hey, let me just read this. You, you know the story of the invalid. You know the story of the official son. It's a cute little story, isn't it? Yeah. And we don't let it, we, we, it's up here, but it doesn't get in here. It doesn't, doesn't convict. It doesn't, we don't, we, we aren't, that's why I'm constantly bringing us back around as to why John is writing this stuff. He's not writing just little bedtime stories for us. He's not writing just narratives so that we can just, Read it and just move on and be familiar with it. There's no test. This is provided for us to change us, to rescue us. And so when we read the story of the official son, we go, who am I in this and how does this apply into my life? Am I the son and am I, am I the official? Am I the onlooker? Am I, am I his family? Who, how, how, and we can be all of them. And that's how God intends it to be. And so this is how God wants us to respond with a strengthened faith. He wants our eyes open. We, we read this in John 3, 3. Listen to this. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's what we're describing. That all of these things that are happening in our lives are the kingdom of God. It's God working in this world. You can't see them. You've heard that expression, right? Blinded eyes. I pray that often. Open my eyes. Help me to see this stuff. 
We should all be praying that. Because God is working in and around and through us for the strengthening of our faith, our trust, and a sovereign God. That's response number one. That's the good one. Sadly, it's in chronological order, so we just go downhill from here. <laughs> okay? Response number two, worldly indifference. That's the second one. This is, this is the invalid that gets healed at the pool. This one's going to be a little tough for me. So the story, and again, I'll just paraphrase this, is there, there's this invalid who's been at this pool who's trying to get healed. We're not going to spend a lot of time on the pool or anything like that. You can go Google it and find some research if you guys didn't talk about your small group. But there's this invalid. He's, been in, he's, he's an invalid for 38 years, and he's such an invalid that he cannot get himself into the pool. So at some point, some way, we don't know what the description of it is, but he's not mobile. He can't move himself. 38 years. The drama around this story, in comparison to the official son, is it's night and day. The official son, it's sad, but it's distanced. We don't even know the kid's name. He doesn't even show up in the story. It's just kind of this, like, it's very, yeah, he, he'll, he'll be fine. Now, there's belief riddled throughout it. But this one, this story, is super dramatic. Multitudes of people are there. Everybody's suffering. This one man is selected out of all of them for an unknown reason. He's been suffering for 38 years. And Jesus comes to him, and miraculously, I mean, imagine the atrophy of the legs and the muscles and whatever is going on for not using them for 38 years. I mean, it's, it's not as if Jesus heals him and says, okay, your PT appointment is, right? Like, that's not how this worked. He didn't have to go through physical therapy. It was healed entirely, completely. And there's some faith in here, maybe. We debated this for a while. You guys probably did too. Jesus says, get up. Grab your mat, start walking. Now, he had to have felt something, maybe. Do you feel something when you are miraculously healed? I don't know. If you've been, let me know. Um, I was unconscious when it happened to me, so, um, right? So, like, you know, like, did he feel it? And he's like, oh, this is great. And he watched his muscles grow or something, and so then he hopped up. Maybe it wasn't faith. Maybe it was just very, like, oh, well, that worked out great. Sounds good. You know, we, don't, we don't really know. But look at what it says. When Jesus approaches him, this is John chapter 5, verse 6. He says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? It's kind of an insulting question, isn't it? Like, no. That would have been my response, frankly. No, I'm just here. I was just hanging out, wanted to lay down for a little bit, got tired, right? Like, it's a very weird way that Jesus does this. And, and so, but, and the response is dull. It's subdued. It's, he complains about his circumstances. He doesn't have any hope. There's not like a twinkle in his eye when somebody comes up and says, you want to be healed? Now, maybe he didn't know of who Jesus was. Probably, he probably did not. 
And what does he do? He just starts talking about all the obstacles in his life. He's like, well, like, every time I can get healed, I got nobody to take me down. Everybody runs in front of me. I just, I, you know, it is what it is. And you know what Jesus does? He doesn't even say you're healed. <laughs> he doesn't, there's no flourish. There's no, there's no, it's just like, get up. Take your mat, walk. It's a very, it's a very cold, it's a very dramatic story. Very cold response between Jesus and this man. Look what it says in verse 8. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once, he does. And that's where you all left, and you didn't read ahead, right? <laughs> So we look at this, and so we're going to read on now, uh, verse 10. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. The word belief does not ever even come up in the story. The man never believes Jesus. The man doesn't go and it's not him and his whole household that, is, that believes like it was for the official's son. There's no belief. None, none mentioned. In fact, every interaction that this guy has with Jesus, he just goes and narks on him. He's like, oh, yeah, it was Jesus. That, that guy, I don't know. Somebody told me to do this. I don't know who it was. Oh, it was Jesus. Hey, I want to let you guys know it was Jesus that did it. Like, it's just, it's a very callous. It's very weird. We want to be careful not reading too far in between the lines, but it, it just doesn't seem as though it's got the same faith Right? That the official had whose son was healed. Very different. And so John is putting these two stories together. You see, what was the problem for this man? He's like, I haven't been able to walk in 38 years. That's my problem. That's my circumstance. And he was healed entirely. He had, he had no problems. Now he could go forward and live a normal life. However old he was at this point, he had the rest of his life before him. He could walk now. I couldn't even imagine what that would be like, how excited you would be, right? And you're like, dude, this is fantastic. Jesus just solved all of my problems. The God of all creation reached down into humanity, chose him, and healed him. Everything's good now, right? This man's life is exactly what it should be. It's normal. No, no bumps in the road now. How often do we think this way? As if there's some expected path of our lives. And anything that 
that bounces in the middle of that. We just need that thing removed. We need that ailment removed. We need that problem removed. We need, we need, some, we need this removed. And then, and then when it is removed, we say, thanks, God, it's about time. Appreciate it. Now I can go back to living the normal life that I'm supposed to live, that I deserve. Isn't that sometimes how we think? That all these things in our lives, instead of seeing them as strengthening us, instead of seeing them as our Father in heaven, doing all these things to refine us and purify us and make us more like his son, we just go, can you just get this out of my way and get this out of my way? Because it'd be a lot easier for me to just worship you, God, if I didn't have this ailment. It'd be a lot easier for me to worship you if I wasn't dealing with all of this. And so John proves to us that that is a failed proposition. It's worldly indifferent to Jesus. You go, you're just consumed with your worldly circumstances. We are just consumed with our worldly circumstances. And I know it's tough. I don't know what all of you are going through. I know what some of you are going through. And it stinks. And I wish we could just take the stuff away. How often are we praying that prayer? Take this away from me. God goes, I put it there, maybe. Why would I remove the thing that I put there? I don't know. That's not for all circumstances. But this is this man's life. There's no thank you. There's no belief. He goes, thanks. This worked out for me. Now I'm going to live a normal life. But then look at what happens. Look in verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus goes, your ailment is not that you're an invalid, that you couldn't walk. That's not the problem. Your problem is one of rebellion against God and sin. That's what you should be focusing on. Your ailments, your problems do not keep you from an eternity with Christ. They don't. Your response to your ailments and your problems can. Guys, this is, this is tough. Jesus threatens him. You guys read this? This is, the, this is the nice Jesus, same nice Jesus that everybody likes, the great moral teacher. He goes, you think 38 years of not walking was bad? Do you understand that what's on the line is eternity? And you're worried about 38 years. This should be super convicting to all of us because it's super convicting to me. We're worried about these 85 years that we might get. We're very concerned about them. We really think we know what they should look like. We could probably draw it out, what it should be. And Jesus goes, how about you pursue righteousness? How about you pursue the things of this world, not this 
beautiful dream life that you were expecting? How about when there's things in your way, you think about that from a perspective of, is this going to strengthen my faith? Instead of thinking, how do I get around this and make this as minimal of an impact to me as possible? How about you think about those things? He's not expecting this guy to be perfect and to stop sinning. That's not his point here, right? What he's saying is pursue righteousness, pursue the kingdom of God, pursue a relationship with Christ. Make your life worthwhile. Don't make your life worthless. And we know this to be true. We could use any one of the the jokes that we have of, you know, you don't have a U-Haul behind a hearse and, you know, all of these things, right? But, and we joke about it, but I don't think it really sits in. None of this matters. None of the possessions that we have, the success in your career, it does not matter. What matters is how you respond in your life, whether that's in faith, to a sovereign God or not. That's what John is, that's why John puts this double feature together and goes, look at these two responses, because they're very different responses. And then you have a third response. And I'm finally going to get into the sermon today. <laughs> Religious depravity. Probably don't see those words together very often. But I think this is the best way to describe this. Religious depravity. That's, that's what we see happens next. The final response is from the Jews, the, the, the religious elite, right? Like all the, the people that, that knew how you were supposed to live your life. The people who were teaching everybody else. It says in verse 10, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. That is probably the most devastating verse in this whole section. Here is this guy. Faith or not, he was celebrating. We'll give him that, right? He could walk. He's grabbing his mat. He's probably walking around, right? Like his, his buddies that had been laying next to him for years are like, dude. He's like, I don't know. This is fantastic. I'm not staying around here. See you guys. <laughs> what can I go get you? He's, he's thrilled. And he's got his mat and he's walking. Just walked off the stage. <laughs> and he's walking and he's so excited. Enter the religious to stifle, to rebuke. Hey, 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 what are you doing? Uh-uh, put it down. That's sad. It's sad because these are the people who thought they could describe who God is, how God would act, what God thinks, right? That's our, that's our pursuit, right? When we, when we get into scripture and we try to understand who God is, right? And we, we talk about this. I want my, my thoughts to be the same as God's thoughts. I want my emotions to be the same as God's emotions, right? Like that's the relationship that we're pursuing. And so these Jews, the, the grouping, the religious elite, were like, we're there. 
We, we understand how God would interact. And here is God interacting in humanity, and they go, no, no, that's not going to work. You see, I use the word religious depravity because I think religion is about the worst word, <laughs> frankly. I, I think and hope I never connect it with anything that we're doing here. And we shouldn't. Because religion is not what God is about. Not at all. And it's such a hurdle. It just needs to be removed from our vocabulary, frankly. Because religion is, is us setting up, setting up these, the rules, right? The rule book. And going, okay, here, here's the thing. God's happy if you do this, not happy if you don't. He's happy here, not happy here. He's pleased with you here and not pleased with you here. Just do the things that he's happy and pleased with. And don't do the things that he's not happy or pleased with. And you will please God. And you will then deserve and earn perhaps the life here that you think you deserve and earn. But if nothing else, you in eternity will rest where you think you should rest. It's easy. Just follow the rules. That's, that's, that's the religious paradigm. And for those who can play by the rule book, it's great. It's really, frankly, pretty easy. And for these guys, they're probably like, this is, this is easy, it's easy. Just don't, don't, don't pick up your mat. Just play by the rules. But this is exactly opposite of the grace of God that we read throughout Scripture. Opposite. Couldn't be any more opposite. The grace of God, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ says that you're so jacked up, you're never going to earn it. And this is what we see throughout and so the solution to this is not that you clean yourself up and, and when you meet a certain threshold, now you can go to God and, and now God might give you a little bit of time. You can, you can enter into his presence. He'll tolerate you now. That's not what grace is. Grace is undeserved merit that, that God makes you righteous. It's his righteousness that we receive. Jesus gave us this exchange, right? He took our sins, pulled them off of us, and instead gave us his righteousness. Anybody in here do anything when that process happened? No, what do we do? We just trust that, that that's what Jesus came to do. Trust that that was God's rescue plan. Trust that God's word is truthful. It's the opposite of earning our place in heaven. We obey, we pursue righteousness because we want to, because our hearts have been changed, because we have this pulse in our, in our lives that we, we, we just don't have the same taste for sinfulness. We don't have the same desires that we once had. Increasingly in measure, doesn't happen all at the same time, right? And so now we obey not because we have to, not because we're trying to make ourselves clean or make ourselves worthy of getting into God's presence, we act and live in a way in response to what Christ has done for us. 
That's grace. And so the religious, the Jews, look at this man carrying his mat, and they're like, no, this is wrong. You're not allowed to carry your mat on the Sabbath. There's rules. The fourth commandment is very clear. Keep the Sabbath day holy. And there's a rule book, and we're making sure you understand how to keep the Sabbath day holy. And one of those is, you're not going to carry your mat. So we're protecting you from violating God. We don't want you to offend God, so don't carry your mat. That's the logic. And we fall into this logic too. Not in the exact same way. But we go, it's really easy. Just do this. I know, I know you got struggles in your life and things are going wrong, and just stop doing that. Start doing this. God will be happier with you. We put on this religious thing. Come to church, read your Bible, pray. I don't know. Give. We don't even talk about fasting enough anymore, but fast. Slip that one out of the text. If you just do these things, then God will be pleased with you. No, no, no. That's not what Scripture says. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to want to be in his presence. He wants you to be able to sing, your presence is heaven to me and mean it. So Jesus receives this judgment levied by the religious. And he's rejected. And we read this in uh, verse 16 and 17. It says, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Now, here's what's funny. And I'll just pause here for a second. The man carried his mat. I mean, Jesus told him to carry his mat, but the man still was the one that, that, that did the thing on the Sabbath. Now, doing these things, I think that's what it says, right? Because he was doing these things, which is very, very ambiguous but that's healing. That's what he was doing. Those were the things that Jesus was doing on the Sabbath. Healing on the Sabbath, like this is why they started persecuting him. Like you're, You shouldn't be doing these things. You're violating the rule book, Jesus. Like their minds are just so blinded. Their eyes are so closed. And they think their eyes are open. That's why this is so devastating. That's why we need to guard each other. Because this isn't far from home. If there's anybody in this room that's liable to this, it's the pastors here, right? But it can happen to any of us. That we start just looking at the rule books, start looking at the things, rigidity, comparison, one-upmanship, all of these things that come along with this rule book and this checklists and all of these things it's dangerous and they think their eyes are open they think they know the ways of god but they don't and so jesus answers them verse 17 my father is working until now and i am working what jesus points to so this is his defense right they go, you're doing these things on the Sabbath. We're gonna, it says, this is why they started persecuting Jesus. And so he goes, my father's working until now, and I'm working. God 
rested on the seventh day. We read this in Genesis. The fourth commandment says that we should rest on the seventh day, that we should treat it as holy. I don't want to spend too long on this. (laughs) But it's not the seventh day today. (laughs) It's the first day of the week. And you can read through this in Acts and where this flop happened and why. The point is, is are we missing the rules for the purpose of the rules? (laughs) This is what we do, right? We grab onto the rule and we're like, I like the rule, it's good, I I can follow it, so it's easy, so I really like the rule because I can follow it, fine. I don't struggle with this rule, and so this becomes my rule, and I want to make sure all of you guys hold on to my rule. This is religion, right? This is how the religious act and think, and, and so what they're looking at is this, and they're like, no, no, you should be doing this. And Jesus goes, do you think, do you think God is sustaining life seven days a week? Is he creating life seven days a week? Or are there no births on Sundays? Or the Sabbath, I guess, in this context. Is, is, is God knitting babies together in their mother's wombs? All the time, or does he take a break every seven days? You see? And this is what Jesus is doing. Of course, they didn't have those details at this time, but, but this is what Jesus is saying. He's like, God's working? God's working, and so am I. And so in his explanation as to why it was okay for this to happen on the Sabbath, look at what it says in verse 18. And then this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. So first they were just persecuting him because of the Sabbath thing. Jesus gives his explanation, and then they're like, okay, now now you got to die. It says, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And then what you're going to read this week is Jesus dissecting that. And it picks up right from here, verse 19, and Jesus is going to go, let me talk about what I mean by being equal with God. And you're going to read all about the Trinity. You're going to read about how, how some of this stuff interplays. And, and John is going to capture all of this for us because what he wants us to do is he wants us to ask the question, how are you going to respond to Jesus? How, how do you respond to Jesus? Do you respond to your world, your life, your circumstances with strengthening faith? Do you respond with worldly indifference, just focused on what's happening around you? Or are you stuck in this religious depravity where you can't see the actual workings of God? This is a real question for all of us. Every day, every morning we wake up, we need to think about this. This is what John is doing in this section. He's going, what's your response? How do you respond to what Jesus is doing? Here in these stories, how do you respond to what Jesus is doing in your life? That's the question for us. Father.